We're in a series on the book of Ephesians called Whole and Holy. This week, we're looking at how the Apostle Paul prays for this church. It's his second prayer for them. His first was in the first chapter. And I want to begin today with a story. It's a story Eugene Peterson, author of The Message, tells about a little orphan girl. And I want to share it because I think it accurately summarizes how Paul wants the church in Ephesus, and by extension us, to think about prayer. Some 35 years ago, Fred and Cheryl, blessed with two teenage boys of their own, went to Haiti to pick up a child they had adopted. Addie was five years old at the time. Her family had been killed in an accident. She was eager to start a new life. Walking across the tarmac to board the plane to leave Haiti, she reached up and slipped her hand into Fred and Cheryl's. Years later, they would say just how much that act of trust meant to them. Back in Arizona, in her new home, the family sat down for their first meal together. There was a platter of pork chops, mashed potatoes, bread, vegetables. Everyone was given their first serving. But after that, Addie's new brothers kept refilling their plates. The platter of meat and potatoes quickly emptied. Addie had never seen so much food in her life, and she had never seen it disappear so quickly. Her eyes grew wide in wonder as her new brother sought to satisfy their ravenous teenage appetites. Some of you know what that's like. But then Fred and Cheryl noticed Addie had become very quiet. Something was wrong. She was agitated, concerned. She seemed a bit insecure. Cheryl wondered if it might be the disappearing food. She suspected that because Addie had grown up hungry, that when food was gone from the table, she might be thinking it would be another day or so before she got to eat again. Turns out she had guessed right. So she took Addie's hand and showed her the bread drawer with three loaves of bread in it. She opened the refrigerator and pointed to the milk, the juice, the eggs, the cheese, the fruit, the vegetables. Then she took her by the hand and led her to the pantry filled with potatoes, onions, shells of canned goods. She opened the freezer and let her touch the meat and the ice cream. And as she went, Cheryl kept reassuring Addie there was a lot of food in the house. And no matter how much her brothers ate or how fast they ate, there was more of that where that came from. Addie would never grow hungry again. This new household had unlimited resources available to her. Cheryl didn't just tell Addie she had food. She showed her what was behind those doors. She named it, let her touch it. Food was in the home whether she realized it or not. Unlike Haiti, she was now in a home of abundance. In a sense, this is what the Apostle Paul is doing in the prayer we're going to look at today. Paul does not want us to have a scarcity mentality when it comes to prayer. In both his first prayer in chapter 1 and this one in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he's taking us by the hand, leading us on a food tour. 
pointing out the boundless riches we have in Christ. We have so many resources at our disposal. We needn't go hungry again. Paul continues to reiterate, already we have so much. Why not make use of it? In fact, we should not only make use of the resources we have, but also ask for more. It's clear as you read this prayer, Paul has no doubt God has inexhaustible resources at his disposal, and that out of those resources, God will answer prayer. This has been a good reminder for me these past few weeks as I've been soaking in this prayer. Because often I, and I imagine you as well, tend to think of prayer as a sort of honey-do list for God. You know those lists we have for our spouses, hopefully articulated and clarified. Honey, I need you to fix the kitchen faucet, clean out the garage, whatever. Sometimes I think we transfer that idea to prayer. We tell God the tasks we would like him to complete while we are busy throughout the day. These grocery list prayers often come out of our neediness. Heal this disease, comfort this friend, provide for this need. And please do not get me wrong, bringing our needs before God is important. On many occasions, Paul and others ask God to do specifically something they are asking for. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. When I was a children's pastor, we encouraged our teachers to pray for all the owies in the room, and this could take a while, because as I coached our volunteers, if it matters to them, it matters to God, and that is true. But as I've been soaking in this prayer in Ephesians 3, I've also been reminded that in prayer, we are to remember not only our need but also God's character, God's nature. And as we do that, as we remember who he is, it will impact what we ask for. How we think about God will impact how we pray. I'm going to read now the prayer from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And I want you to listen for what Paul is actually asking for here and what he says about God as he prays. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through your spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations now and forevermore. Amen. I don't know about you, but I would like to have the Apostle Paul join us at prayer point. Would you not? This passage can be divided into three main sections. Introduction to the prayer, verses 14 and 15. 
the substance of the prayer, verses 16 to 19, and the conclusion of the prayer, verses 20 to 21. But for our purposes today, I want to start by briefly giving an overview of who God is, as Paul describes both before and after the prayer, and then we're going to look at the prayer itself, okay? So let's begin with just who it is that Paul is praying to. We get a lot of indications of that in the verses before the prayer, verses 14 and 15, as well as after the prayer, verses 20 to 21. So let's start with before the prayer. Verse 14, for this reason, I kneel. Now, it's interesting. It was customary in Paul's day to stand while you prayed. So this particular posture could convey deep and intense emotion or possibly reverence. It also conveys subservience, obedience, yielding. When we're on our knees, literally and metaphorically, we place ourselves in a position of willed submission. We can't run away. We can't assert ourselves. We are vulnerable to the will of the one before whom we bow. Now talk about a posture not popular today. Our egos resist bending the knee. We want to be self-sufficient. But when we think about who this God is and we recall all that he has done for us, think back to the blessed be in chapter one. We remember this is indeed the only posture appropriate before the almighty God. But he's not just almighty. I kneel before the Father. Undoubtedly, Paul wants us to recall Jesus' words in his model prayer, our Father who art in heaven. And Romans 8.15, where we are assured by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that we can cry out, Ava, Father. God is how a loving Father should be, caring for us, protecting us, seeking our good, loving us deeply. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. There's a wordplay here that we don't see <clears throat> in English. The Father, Pater, from whom every family, Patria, derives its name. His point is that God is the one source, the originator, for each person who's derived. He is overall. In chapter 5, Paul, when he gets to the household codes, and how we are um, related to the householder, the paterfamilias, he talks about how that uh, householder runs the house. We are a family, a household of God. We are united together under one Father. Now that should greatly impact what we pray for one another and how often we pray for one another. We are in this together, one body united with God as our Father. But that's just what Paul says about God before the prayer. Let's look at what he says about God after his prayer in verses 20 to 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations now and forevermore. Able to do immeasurably more. God is able to do greater things than we can quantify, biblical scholar Lynn Kohick says. He has limitless power, unlimited resources. 
Paul actually makes up a word here with this phrase, immeasurably more. He puts two superlatives together, like a super superlative. It means very much in excess, beyond all possible measure. We pastors have a phrase we like to use for this. We call it Holy Spirit math. It just doesn't add up. Paul is so aware of the riches available to him. He asks big. There's nothing cautious or restrained about his prayer. It's exuberant. We pray in a household of exuberance when we pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we remember who he is and all the resources available to us, we will ask for more. It reminds me of getting a gift card for a restaurant. Maybe you've had this experience. And for whatever reason, the person who gave you the gift card doesn't really stipulate how much is on there. So you don't quite know what you're working with when you go to the restaurant. So you just order the entree and the water, assuming maybe there's like 50 bucks on the card. But eventually you ask the waiter for the balance and you discover there's $200 on this card. Well, man, I'm getting the appetizer, the drink, the dessert, right? Now, you fiscally responsible people are thinking, no, I'm going to get three meals out of this. I'm with you. But it's true. The more you know you have available, the more you can access those resources. Friends, God has unlimited resources available to us. So why not pray boldly? Why not ask him to pour out more of his power, his love, as the Apostle Paul did? Maybe this is a good reminder for you, as it has been for me, to, yes, continue to give our request to God specifically, but in so doing, to not assume there's 50 bucks on the gift card available. This is God we're talking about. There are thousands in that card. We have resources at our disposal he has given us. Maybe, just maybe, our prayers are too small. Whatever huge challenge you're facing that's on your mind today, let me encourage you, our God can do immeasurably more, super superlative more. Maybe he's just waiting for us to ask. Now that we've been sufficiently reminded of who God is, let's look more closely at the prayer itself in verses 16 to 19. And as we do, I wanna draw our attention to two requests Paul makes, which result in one outcome. So this is the outline of the prayer right here. The summary of Paul's word for the prayer is more. He's bold. Immersed in this vision of who he is, God, Paul knows he already has resources, and he knows the resources are abundant. No scarcity mentality here. So he prays for more, and he prays for more power, as described by the presence of Jesus in each person, and more love. Let's start with more power, and specifically more of the Holy Spirit's power at work in our lives. I loved Luke's stories about prayer, just totally set up this sermon. That was wonderful. Verse 16 to 17, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, initially, this may sound like two separate ideas, like more Holy Spirit in their inner being, and then, as a result, they'll have more Christ in their hearts. But actually, these are one in the same. <laughs> 
the more they have the strength or, or power of the Holy Spirit at work in their inner being, the more Jesus will reign in their lives. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. To have more of God's Holy Spirit in our being means more of Jesus' character and nature will influence our thoughts, decisions, desires, behaviors. As you know, the biblical meaning of heart is not the organ that pumps our blood, but the control center of our lives, the core of our being, that which informs all that we do. So Paul is praying here that the spirit be so strong and influence in the control center of our lives that our lives would show that. Which is why Paul says more power, more the Holy Spirit, equals more presence of Jesus. As God's spirit empowers us to live like Jesus, we will increasingly grow more and more into his likeness. That's why Paul uses the phrase dwell. He uses it intentionally. This is the more permanent form of dwell. This is not a stranger passing through. This is a settling down, taking up residence in, being completely at home in. Now, it's true, the Holy Spirit has already taken up residence in us if we are Christ followers. Romans 8, 9 to 11, and John 14, 16 to 18 tell us the Holy Spirit lives in us if we have chosen to trust in Jesus and follow him. But even though the Spirit is in us as Jesus' followers, we have to continue to yield to him, to submit to him, to choose to follow his way when it seems pointless or when we face resistance, which is why a few verses later in chapter 5, verse 18, Paul's going to repeat this same idea, and this time he'll say it like this, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The be filled is continual, as in keep on being filled. This is not a one-time thing. This is a daily, incremental thing. John Stott says the, dwelling of, the indwelling of Christ is a thing of degrees. It's not a perfect analogy, but whenever I picture Jesus growing in us, taking up more room or residence in our hearts, I cannot help but picture my favorite Christmas movie as a little girl. This is before I knew Charles Schultz was from Minnesota. Okay, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Remember at the end, the scene where it says the Grinch's heart grew three times as big and it bursts out of that little box? It just keeps expanding and eventually bursts out of capacity. That is how I picture Jesus taking up residence in our lives. Just like the Grinch's heart grows and expands, we want the living Christ to grow and expand and take up residence in our lives. So yes, let's pray for more, more power, more Holy Spirit to take over our lives, more of the risen Christ to take up room in our hearts. Because frankly, if this happens, as Klein Snodgrass says, everything else will fall into place. If we have more of the Holy Spirit forming us into the likeness of Christ, the rest will work itself out. This is the prayer beneath the prayer that we all need. And now is probably a good time to insert a confession. It is in relation to the prayer requests you submit weekly through our connection card. We do, as a staff, pray for those individual specific requests as you ask us to pray. If it matters to you, it matters to us and to God, and so we honor that. But 
In addition to the specific request you make, for years I've had the habit of praying for the prayer beneath the prayer. I often pray for that request and that you would know the presence of God in your lives, that you would be confident and reassured of his love for you, that you would be led by the Holy Spirit in directing you. Because tutored in Ephesians, I know that if that happens, the rest will work itself out. And here I want to say, I see the risen Christ taking up more and more space in your hearts and lives. This is one of my great joys in pastoring. I get to witness and celebrate the Holy Spirit's power in your life. So by way of encouragement, I want to share just some of how you all have been growing in the last year, how I see more power of the Holy Spirit, more presence of Jesus in your lives. Here's just a few. Some of you have become more burdened for your coworkers. You're seeing them in really hard places, and you're acting with boldness to help them, to tangibly care for them, to enter into... Um, deep conversations with them. Some of you have taken intentional steps about loving pretty difficult people in your lives. You're intentionally seeking healthier relationships with all the consequence and cost and emotional energy that that takes. Some of you are learning how to cope with physical limitations as your body decays, but you're doing it without bitterness with humility and great trust in the fact that our Father loves you. And some of our students, our students, are praying for their peers in the hallways when they see them misbehave. And they're praying specifically for people who have hurt them. And as they do, that prayer enables them to forgive those peers. Oh yeah, we have some pretty incredible students, just saying. City Church, God's Spirit is at work in you, but let there be more. Let's ask for and long for more of his power in our lives. There's always more work to be done. The indwelling of Christ is a thing of degrees. What is one area you want to see more of Christ in your life? Ask him. More power, God. More presence of Jesus in me, God. If that sounds demanding, remember we're on our knees. We're subservient to him. Out of his glorious riches, may he strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. More power, oh God. And more love. Verses 17 to 19, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that you can't know. <laughs> Rooted and established, an agricultural term and an architectural term. Rooted in meaning grounded in this love and established meaning the building block on which we grow in Christ. John Stott says love is the soil in which their life is to be rooted and love is the foundation on which their life is to be built. It's both. We're to know God's love for ourselves and we're to help others know this love by loving them. 
Or as the message says, I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience its breath. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. It's so incredible, it's hard to grasp. And in fact, we can't. Verse 19, to know this love which surpasses knowledge. Which is it, Paul? Can we know it or not? Basically, he means appreciating the limitless of the love God extends to us. No, we cannot fully know it, but we can come to an ever-increasing awareness of it, ever-expanding experience of his love. Like putting an empty container in a sea. The container will become full of seawater, but the fullness of the sea is not in that container. There's so much more outside the container that can't be contained. If you have a sense of God's love for you, that is wonderful, but that's just a little container full. There's more of that where that came from. There's a whole vast sea of his love to let wash over you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Paul says. And our awareness of God's love for us comes by way of the church, how we love one another. This request for more love is only attained in community. This was new. I had not noticed this before. That you may have power, what? Together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. We do not learn God's love by sitting in a room by ourselves. We learn it by interacting with the body, by forgiving and being forgiven and extending grace. That's why we push so many opportunities for communities, Sunday morning communities, small groups, whatever, because that's how God's love will be made known to you. We need each other people to show God's love for us. So the application here is twofold. When is the last time you reflected on the love God has for you? Pondered its height, breadth, depth. He does love you, you know. Every one of you. It's probably worth putting that front of mind. Otherwise, we're going to get overwhelmed by all that goes on around us. If you, like me, are restored by nature or beauty, maybe it's taking a brief stroll in a quiet, um, looking at the beauty of creation. God, the creator, artist. Oh my, have you seen the sunsets he's painting every night? or enjoying music or art that speaks to you. Maybe it's reminding yourself as you tuck a small child in at night and your heart is so full of the love you have for them and what you would do for them. You hear the voice of your father speaking those words over you. Maybe it's a friend whose presence communicates God's love to you. Keep yourself in the love of God, friends. A second application may be you want to act in love towards someone else. You want them to know God's love, and so you're prompted to share a word of encouragement or serve them in some way or pray for them. More love, either to know it for yourself or to help someone else know it. If we pray both of these prayers for one another, more of the Holy Spirit's power or the presence of Jesus in us and more love, Paul says there's going to be a result, more fullness. Verse 20, so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. 
meaning that Christ will be more fully formed in us as a body and we will more accurately reflect who he is. We will be his witnesses. We will show others who God is by our transformed lives, individually and collectively. Just as the fullness of God is in Christ, Colossians 1.19, so the fullness of Christ is in the church, Ephesians 1.23. This is a communal fullness, not just an individual fullness. Communal is everywhere in this passage. I've just highlighted a few. Verse 15, from whom every family. Verse 17, in our hearts, plural. Verse 18, together with all the saints, us, verse 20, and verse 21, glory. I mean, the no-brainer was in Christ, but in the church, we together as one united body are to manifest the presence of Jesus. We do that more fully when we do these things. People around us will become curious about what's different from us, how we're able to handle a difficult circumstance, how we have support from others. Our mission becomes more realized as we look like Jesus and demonstrate that love to others. City Church, God has unlimited resources at our disposal. We don't need to sit at the table wide-eyed, watching food disappear, wondering where the next meal is going to come from. Our God has glorious riches, an extravagant home, he wants to take us by the hand and reassure us, walking us to the cupboard, to the refrigerator, to the pantry. He has glorious riches available to us. The same power he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms, he makes available to us. If he has so much at his disposal, why would we ask so little of him? Why not ask him to fill us more of his Holy Spirit's power, more presence of Christ Jesus in our lives that we would look like him? Why not ask him to make us individually and collectively more aware of his love for us? Because as we do that, we will together be filled to the fullness of God. We will look more like Jesus and we will fulfill our mission of representing him to this hungry, watching world. May it be so. Let's pray. Oh, our God, we thank you for the riches available to us that we forget. We're so consumed and overwhelmed by what we see from our perspective, our need to help us to take our eyes off that and to see you in all your fullness. And in that, we ask for more. We ask for more of your Holy Spirit's power at work in each one of us individually and collectively that the risen Christ would burst our heart and take up room and we would grow three sizes too big, that every aspect of our lives would be marked, sealed, manifesting your glory. And we ask for more love. It is not natural to us to love the way you love. May it be so. And may it be so, so that the risen Christ will be revealed to this hungry, watching world. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.